0: This daf is daf Vav in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. We are ten lines from the top of the Amud, Vav, Amud Aleph. Ten lines down where there is one dot. Tanu the rabbi's taught. Motsa Fatecha, Zom The whole pasuk is a pasuk that tells us about the obligation of fulfilling any nidarim or other commitments that we make. Motsa tishmor what comes out of your lips, you should keep it and do it. As you vowed to Hashem, your God, as nedava, as a free will offering, as you spoke with your mouth. That's the Pasuk. So each phrase in the Pasuk, the Chachamim, interpret, When it says, that implies a positive mitzvah to fulfill what comes out of your lips. Tishmor Zomitzvat Lotase. The word tishmor means a lotase, meaning if you fail to do so, you're violating a negative commandment. Vasita, the word Veasita means asucha. That means that if you fail to fulfill your obligations, the beddin should come and compel you to do so. Kasher nadarta, as you swore, zeneder, that's talking about where you take upon yourself a vow, when it says to Hashem your God, vashamot, that's talking about the sin offerings and the guilt offerings, olot ushlamim, as well as the burnt offerings and the shlamim offerings, in other words, uh, things that are obligatory on the chagim, olot and shlamim can be obligatory as well. Niddava, the word niddava is things that you contribute freely that are not obligatory and are not a vow. A vow is when you take it upon yourself, and niddava is when you consecrate an animal to give it without uh, accepting responsibility if something goes wrong. Asher dibarta, as you spoke, elu koche bedekabait, that's talking about uh, things that you contribute to the Beit HaMikdash that are not korbanot, but are for the upkeep of the Beit HaMikdash. Beficha, the word beficha means tzedakah if you set aside. Uh, money for the poor. Now, all the point is that in all of these, uh, all of these uh, gifts or commitments that are made a person is obligated to fulfill them and to fulfill them in a timely manner. among more the Master said, why do I need a Pasuk of Motsa Sifatecha to tell me that there's a positive commandment to fulfill the obligations that I take upon myself. I already have a Pasuk that says that when I come to the Beit HaMikdash on a yearly basis or whenever I come to the Beit HaMikdash I'm supposed to bring with me all of the Korbanot that I'm obligated to bring so obviously there's a positive commandment to fulfill whatever responsibilities I've taken upon myself. So, uh, what's the need for an extra pasuk if that's the case? So it says, uh, really, it should come. Right. For, moreover, similarly, you said that the word Tishmor tells you that it's a negative commandment if I don't fulfill my responsibilities. But why do I need that? We already have a commandment that tells us not to delay fulfilling our vows, and that's a lota said, That's a negative commandment, meaning you should not delay right so we already have me lot me me uh lota khadisha el monafkas so va why do I need the pasuk of v'asita to tell me that bedin should force me to fulfill the obligations if I re- if I am uh, recalcitrant? What's the reason for that pasuk? We already have a pasuk that teaches us that yakriv oto we learned in a That's really talking about the person bringing the korban, but they interpret it as meaning that the bedin brings the bringer. They bring the person. So uh, normally you would interpret the pasuk as meaning that the Person brings the korban, but the point is that if he uh, uh, that if he doesn't bring it uh, on his own uh, independently as he is supposed to, so yakriv oto they will bring the, you know they should bring him, meaning the owner. To the betamikdashdu ba'al you might think that means ba'al Kocho against his will that they'll actually force him, so to speak, with a gun to his head to do it. it has to be with his will, meaning with his agreement. how does it work? He has they force him until he says, "Okay, I want to do it." Meaning they have to apply pressure, as much pressure as necessary, on the side of the bedin until he agrees and accepts. That he is going to uh, do it of his own free will. In other words, they, as we say, they make him an offer. He can't, he can't refuse. They apply as much pressure as they deem necessary to, until he finally agrees to go through with it. So now the question is, why do we have double? We have sukim already to tell us these halachot of uh, the positive mitzvah of fulfilling our obligations, the negative commandment against delaying or reneging on them, and the mitzvah of the Bet din. To, imp- to enforce these obligations when we don't do so on our own. So, what do we need? Extra psukim, chaddam, avilaflish because there's two stages one is if the person made the commitment but they didn't separate the animal for the korban yet and the other is where they separated the animal but they didn't sacrifice it yet and both are necessary because if I knew that if the pasuk told me that if a person declares a commitment but he didn't separate an animal to fulfill it yet that's because he's not fulfilling his work but if he already separated the animal or the items that are going to be donated and he simply didn't bring them yet I could say that since he already separated it out, wherever that item is, it belongs to Hashem already. So he didn't actually, before actively take it and offer it or actively take it and deliver it to the Bet HaMikdash. But basically, it belongs to Hashem already. He separated it already. So you might say that. So therefore, that's why you need a pasuk to tell you that even if you separated it, you still have to deliver it. V'yashmayinan afrish and if I had a bazooka, tells me that if I separate the korban or the offering and I didn't bring it, I'm obligated to bring it. That's because he's keeping it in his, in his own domain and he's not bringing it. It's bad. But if we're just talking about where he made a declaration and he didn't separate anything yet, maybe he'll say that's not enforceable. That's nothing really. That's not something that we can tell him he has to fulfill until he's taken the next step of actually attaching it to a specific physical object. So that's why we need both. Uh, uh, Points we need to know that if I make a verbal commitment, it's already as real as uh, a material thing, and it could be enforced, and I could be responsible for fulfilling it. And on the other hand, even if I've taken one step to fulfill it, that doesn't excuse me from taking it all the way. How could you say that if a person declared something and didn't separate it? In other words, that one that one pasuk is talking about where the person. Uh, Declared, but did not separate the offering. But one of the examples is nidava. What's well, not? And we learned in the Mishnah that ezo What is the difference between Nedir and nidava? We know this. Well, that's when I say, I take upon myself to bring an olah. Meaning, if I separate a particular one and it gets lost, I have to bring another because I took it on myself. That's why I designate a particular animal. The difference is that a neder, if it dies or it gets stolen or it gets lost or whatever, I have to replace it. if it dies or it gets stolen, I'm not obligated to replace it. In other words, the idea is that... The whole definition of a nidava is that I designated the animal. So why would I, if you're telling me that the difference between the first set of the psukim and our baraita and the psukim that are brought elsewhere, is that one's talking about where I made a verbal statement, a general verbal statement without designating, and one is talking about where I did designate? Then nidava cannot be on the list because nidava by definition is where I designated. So I'm definitely going to have double psukim when it comes to nidava because it can only be where I designated. No, we could say that we're talking about a person who said I I accept upon myself to bring an Ulam But on the condition that I'm not obligated In uh, I'm not obligated In uh, uh, The uh, Once I separate, once I designate I'm not going to be liable For its, uh, for what happens to it In other words, he could you could have a situation Where a person makes a there But essentially he's putting it in the format of a nedir so he just declared, it's it's on me, meaning I'm taking upon myself this obligation, but if something goes wrong and it gets lost, I'm not going to accept the responsibility. So basically, it's functionally like a nidava. So he, he, it's like a nether in the sense that he makes a verbal commitment without the designation at first, but it's like a nidava because he has, there are no strings attached if once he does make the designation. So there you could still have the two stages, the stage of the verbal statement and the later stage of the Uh, designation and that's why you need the two psukim one for the verbal one for the designation we said that when it it says in the pasuk what you say with your mouth you should fulfill that's tzedakah there's no idea of having to wait for three chagim to be liable for delaying Tzedakah. You're right away obligated to give tzadakah. Because there are poor people all around all the time. That's So it's, it's not like you have to go to the bit and to fulfill this. This is not a Korban where we say, you know what, you have three holidays, and along the cycle of the holidays, you should bring the Korban with you. Here, there are poor people around, you should bring it. that should be Aviye the the Korbanot Ketiva, Adda Vre Allah, Galim, Korbanot. Because you might have thought, that since the idea of delaying an offering or a commitment is written in the context of korbanot, so you might have thought that similarly, just like when it comes to korbanot, you have a three chagim in which to fulfill the obligation. So you have the same thing by tzedakah, so it's saying kamash that no, hatamud over there when it's a korban or relates to the Beit HaMikdash, so the, so the Torah attached it to the issue of the holidays when you go to visit the of HaMikdash. low, no, but here... Uh, When it comes to Tzedakah, there's no connection to the Beit HaMikdash. Because there are poor people anywhere, you can find them. You can fulfill the obligation without going to the Beit HaMikdash. So there's no relationship to the Rikdalim, no relationship to the holidays there. As soon as a person passes one holiday, in other words, even though with regard to korbanot, we said that you have to pass three holidays before you're actually liable for bal for delaying a korban, when it comes to what you already have violated a positive commandment, in other words, you've neglected a positive commandment even after the first holiday is passed. Um, so the negative commandment You didn't violate until three but the, but the positive obligation You violated after one Meaning because it says When you go up to the Beit HaMikdash You should bring it with you You should bring whatever offerings You have with you So that's a positive commandment You already neglected that the first time Even though we don't consider you In violation of the negative commandment Until you do it for three holidays Maybe uh, there is an objection to that Because I Rabbi Yoshov Rabbi Papias Al vlad Shlamim Sheikrav Shlamim It says Rabbi Yoshov Rabbi Papias Testified about the offspring of a Shlamim. A Shlamim can be female, so it can have offspring. Sheikav Shlamim, that it should be brought as a Shlamim. Papias, Papias Ani me'id, lanu parash, we had a para, we had a, uh, a cow of a Shlamim, and vachalnoa we ate it on Pesach, When we ate the mother on Pesach, vachalnoa v'lada Shlamim, and we ate the uh, offspring, we ate the uh, child on Pesach, uh, on Chad, on, on Sukkot. So it says, We understand why they couldn't offer the offspring of the Shlamim on Pesach because because probably it was too young, in other words, it had just been born. And you have to wait at least eight days in order to offer it. And uh, so it was too early. Maybe this animal gave birth just right before Pesach. So they could bring the mother as a Korban Shlamim on Pesach for their Yom Tov, but, they, but it wasn't old enough on Pesach to be brought. Uh, the child wasn't old enough to be brought, but But uh, but, but if that's true, but uh, really then they should have uh, they should have brought the vlad. They should have brought the child on atzeret on shavuot because Because according to Ravah's saying that you really shouldn't leave a korban even one holiday. Forget about three. Three is the actual violation. But you're already neglecting a positive mitzvah to the first one. So why didn't they take the offspring of the shlamim and offer it on? Uh, on uh, Shavuot, which is the nectality. Why right? they wait all the way to Chag, they wait all the way to Sukkot. And again, this is all based on the idea that the offspring of the Shlamim is a Shlamim as well. So, Ammarab Zavid, Obsavid said, Mishmed Ravan, the name of Ravan, to answer this question, the, the baby, the Korban, was sick on Shavuot. It wasn't in a condition to uh, be offered. And so, therefore, they. Uh, they didn't bring it on Shavuot, it wasn't their fault, it was out of their control, and uh, it was. It, it's a type of a temporary moon when it's sick, and so therefore they had to wait until Sukkot. Why do you assume that when it says that we ate the mother on Pesach and we waited till Chag, maybe it's not talking about Chag Sukkot. maybe it's talking about Chag HaTzeret. maybe it's talking about Chag Shavuot. it was the next holiday. Right. Why didn't Rava himself give that answer Because anytime it says Pesach It will say Atzeret as the holiday following it It will not say Chag The fact that it's a Chag It says the word Chag means Sukkot And that means to say that they kept it till uh, two holidays later Instead of the next holiday And that shows that they skipped it It must be because it was beyond their control Amar Rava. Rava said and it says on the side it should say a continuation. Once the three holidays pass Every day that passes after that third holiday He's in violation he's, he's committing the sin of In other words he's getting another violation As the days go by each day it says that, once, that whether it's a בחor, a firstborn animal, or any other koban, once you pass the three holidays... Once you pass Either a year A full calendar year with all th- Without all three holidays Or all three holidays Without a calendar year We'll figure out How that works Okay These two examples He's violating What's the What does that show What's the point Of bringing this here It's a good reject- uh, uh, Objection to ravah. Why Because If this Tana Is trying to find the, To expand The prohibition In other words To expand the violation And to say to you That not only When you pass through your kalim, But even if you pass The calendar calendar year and you haven't yet passed all three holidays that you're in violation if he's looking to expand the violation the parameters of the violation of baltachir of delaying so then why doesn't he mention letni b'chol yom why doesn't he mention that every single day subsequent day after that third holiday you're in violation of baltachir every day after it that you don't bring the korban v'idach in other words so that shows you from the fact that he doesn't mention not only that having a full calendar year pass without all three holidays you're in violation but he do- but he doesn't mention that that uh, each and every day you're in violation so maybe that means that each and every day you're not in violation that's an exaggeration it's not true that every single day is another violation so it says no that 's not necessarily true because you 'm sorry the, the uh, what's the response maybe we could say that this Tana is not interested in telling you that every single day after the after the, that deadline passes every single day you're being cited for another violation he's just trying to show you what the parameters of the initial violation are that not only when you pass three holidays without bringing a goban but even if you pass a full year without the three holidays I'm we we'll see how that works out. You're still liable uh, for the He wasn't interested in mentioning that each and every day after that you are again cited for another violation. He didn't have to mention that. Gufa, let's go back to what we said before. That once a person uh, has passed If you have a Korban Whether it's a b'chor or Any other uh, any other Korban Once you've passed A full year without the holidays Or all three holidays Without a full year You have violated the We can imagine a case Where you have All three holidays Passed without a full year We could find that because you could uh, do that overnight, you could do that over uh, uh, from Pesach Shavuot Sukkot. It's not a full uh, twelve uh, months; it's less than twelve months, obviously. So you you could do that without a full year for sure. But how could you have a full year that doesn't include all three holidays? So, it says, so again, according to the opinion that says that in order to violate Bal Tachir, it has to be. In a in order, in other words, that the that when you pass these three holidays, uh, the three holidays have to pass Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So that means that sometimes it could be that you have a like a year and a half uh, or more because if you designate the korban after Pesach, then Shavuot passes, Sukkot passes, and then Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot all have to pass in order. It's all you know. It's almost uh, two years of uh, of time in that case. And you haven't violated it yet, according to the opinion that you need to have them in the proper order. Okay, there we could say, But according to most of it, you don't need that. You don't need it to be in the proper order. It could, any three holidays in any order will put you in the violation. So how is it possible that you, uh, that you went through a whole year and there were not all three holidays of Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot in that year in some order? We could understand by Rabbi, according to Rabbi, because he's talking. It could be talking about a leap year. The Tanya, as we learned in a breakdown, this is this bright is talking about the idea of uh, if a person sells a uh, a house in a walled city of Israel, so they have one year within which to redeem that house, and if they want to buy it back within that time and pay the money, the sell the buyer has to return it to the original seller, but after that year, it becomes. Nechlat, it becomes finalized in the hands of the buyer, and he doesn't have to, it's not redeemable anymore. So the question is, what's defined as a year? According to Rebbe, that's 365 days. It doesn't matter whether it's a leap year, this, that doesn't matter. 365 days. According to the Chachamim, uh, we go by the calendar. We go by the calendar year. Meaning, to say if it's a leap year, so that so the bo- the seller who wants to redeem his house will get an extra month of time in which he can redeem his house because he gets that extra thirteenth month. According to Rabbi, no, once three hundred and sixty-five days pass, we don't care how many months. We don't care what the calendar day is. Let's say uh, let's say he originally sold it on the first of Nisan and now it's uh, really it's the first of Adar. A bet But uh, 365 days have already passed So according to um, Or at some point In, in Adar darbet, And 365 days have already passed Even though it's not up to the First of Nisan According to Rabbi It's too late According to the Chachamim It's not too late uh, Because he gets all the way To the next calendar day gets all the way To the next First of Nisan Even though it's going to be More days Than uh, 365 actually So So uh, so according to that, you always, so according to the Chachamim, you're always going by the calendar. So it would literally be impossible to have what's called a full year without all the Chagim because what's, whether it's a 12-month year or a 13-month year, it's going to have all three Chagim. But according to Rabbi, you could have a year that doesn't include all the Chagim in certain cases because if you had, let's say, uh, uh, it was around Pesach time and, uh, and it, was a, it was a leap year, so then 365 days will run out... Before the next Pesach comes around And so therefore you could If you, if you uh, consecrated the Korban In uh, in uh, Right after Pesach So you'll come around 365 days Because there was a leap year And you'll reach the 365 day mark Before you get to the next Pesach So you've actually had a full 365 days Without a Pesach And so therefore you could have a year Without all three holidays in it um, That's according to Rabbi So he said According to Rabbi You can have it Right Mashka because you could have a situation where you, as I said before you uh, consecrated it either during Pesach or after Pesach, and because there's a leap year you're going to get to the end of Adarbet, or the middle of adarbet really and uh, and you're already going to be up to 365 days and yet you haven't gotten to the you haven't gotten to a pesach yet so technically you haven't touched all three of Galim and the idea is you're still considered to be Baltahir okay fine you still are considered delayed because a full year went by even without three holidays. But the thing is, according to the rabbis, you can, you can only have a full calendar year as defined as a year, which means if it's a full calendar year, it's always going to include all three holidays. So what are they going to do? So kidatani rabbi shimaya, atzeret, shisha, There's one case where we could find it, which is according to Rav shimaya. According to Rav shimaya, you can have shavuot could fall out on either the 5th, the 6th, or the 7th of shavuot. I'm sorry, of Sivan, right? So what it means is like this, when you're counting the Omer, so you have, you pass the month of Nisan, you pass, past the month of Iyar, and then you're in the month of Sivan. So when you, so if Nisan, and remember, it's always 49 days that you're counting, which means if, uh, if, uh, Nisan is only, it turns out only to be a 29 day month that year, and also, E-R turns out to only be a 29-day month, 20 day, 29 day month that year. So you're, so to speak, ahead of the game. You're going to get to the number 49 two days earlier because you didn't have a 30th day of Nisan to take up one of the days of the Omer. And you didn't have a 30th day of E-R to take up one of the days of the Omer. So you're, so to speak, two days ahead and your Shavuot is going to fall out on the 5th of Nisan. Yeah, a fifth of Sivan. But if one, if both of them are Mle'im, in other words, both of them are 30 days, so that means one of the days of the Omer is going to be counted as 30th day of Nisan. And one of the day of the Omer is going to be counted as 30th of Iyar. So that means you're, so to speak, going to be, uh, in that case, you're going to be, uh, in your count, you're going to be... Um, you're going to have been further along in the counting of the. I'm sorry, it's the opposite of what I said before. In other words, you're going to be further ahead. Meaning, it's going to. I'm. It's going. To, it's going to come out if both of them are chaserim. If both of them are shorter, so you're further ahead in the in the count, and uh, meaning to say that you're you're further ahead in. Calendar in the count, so then it's going to be the seventh of Sivan by the time you get to uh, Shavuot. But if both of them are Mleim, both of them are 30 day months, so what's going to happen is that you're going to have used up an extra day of the Omer in Nisan, used up an extra day of the Omer in Iyar, and you're going to get to 49 only at the fifth of Sivan you're not going to have two more days to count the Omer. By the time you get to the 5th of Sivan, it's already going to be Shavuot, if both Nisan and Iyar are Mleim. If both of them are Chaserim, so because you didn't have to use up two of your Omer days in the end of Nisan, 30th of Nisan, 30th of Iyar, so you're going to end up having to go all the way to the 6th of Sivan is going to be your last day of the Omer, and the 7th of Sivan is going to be the first day of Shavuot. If one is Malay and one is Chaser, meaning the sun is 30 days and the is 29, or vice versa. So then it's going to turn out to be on the 6th of Sivan. That's according to Rosh Shemaya. So what could happen there? So what could happen is that if it, it came out that uh, one year you you designated the Qurban, let's say, one year the uh, the... It turned out that both um, both uh, Nissan and Iyar were mleim; they were thirty-day months, and, and on the day, and so therefore, Shavuot was on the fifth of Sivan, and therefore on the sixth of Sivan you designated a korban. So now you come to in the next year, both of those months end up instead of being full months, they ended up being chasirim; they ended up being twenty-nine-day months. So it turns out that Shavuot will not come out until the seventh of Sivan. So if that happens, so actually you got to the end of the year, whether the year was a leap year or not, it doesn't even matter. You got to the end of a full year, meaning you got to the date you designated that Koban was the sixth of Sivan. But last year that was Motzai Shavuot. This year it's going to be Arab Shavuot. So you didn't actually have all three Yagalim, but you had a full calendar year. That would be a case where you could have a full calendar year with no, uh, with not, Having all of the chagim in it. de le Who is the tanah that disagrees with rav shemaya about this uh, idea about shavuot? It's achirimi. It's achirim, which is rabbi meir. The tan is within the ner bite. There are only four days in between one shavuot and the next, and between one rosh Hashanah and the next. If it was a leap year, then five. Now, what does that mean? It means like this, that really the lunar year is 354 days. That's the the year, the Hebrew uh, calendar. If you divide 354 by seven, so you end up, it divides in evenly. So that would be an even number of weeks. So what that would mean is, if Rosh Hashanah were on a Sunday, which, by the way, cannot be, but I'm just using it as an example. We know that Rosh Hashanah cannot be on a Sunday, just making it easier. Or if we want to make it a realistic example, let's say Rosh Hashanah is a Shabbat. So the ne- so really, what should happen is that if the if the uh, year were 350 uh, days instead of 354. So what would happen is you would have 50 weeks exactly. And if Rosh Hashanah was on Shabbat, then the 50 weeks would end on a Friday. And the next Rosh Hashanah would also be on Shabbat. But it's 354 days. It's not 350 days. So therefore, if Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat, so then the next 350 days are filled up on the Friday. It's going to be a Friday, some Friday. And then you have four more days to go. Day 351, 352, 353, and 354. So that gives you Shabbat, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So the next year, Rosh Hashanah would be on a Wednesday then. If it came out like that, it would be on a Wednesday. Now again, um, that doesn't happen. Uh, We don't have uh, first day of Rosh Hashanah on a Wednesday either. But that's theoretically what would happen in a year that... Uh, Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbat. You would have uh, four days later the coming year. So that would mean because you because it doesn't divide evenly into weeks, the fifty weeks ends on uh, on the Friday, and then you have one, two, three, four more days. Shabbat, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then you would have the next Rosh Hashanah starting the next day. That would be uh, uh, the division of 354 days. If it's a leap year, it will be uh, three it will so well it will be 5 days later because what happens in a leap year is we add um a an additional month of 29 days. And the 29 days that we add is 4 weeks plus another day. So that means if a holiday, let's say Rosh Hashanah we're using, fell out on Shabbat and then you added another so we already know that the weeks end evenly on a Friday because it, they divide by, let's say, the 350 will divide into 50 weeks with a remainder of four. The 354 will divide the 50 weeks with a remainder of four. You added an additional four weeks and a day. So that's also going to divide evenly plus a remainder of one. So now you've pushed the date of the next Rosh Hashanah five days forward instead of four days in the next year and the same would be benetzeret lazeret in other words each week each year the holiday of shavuot is going to be 4 days or 5 days later in the week in terms of the weekdays than it would be in uh, than it was in the previous year that's what Rabbi meir says it should work out to be okay so if that's the case then what does that mean that means that there's no alternating of uh, there's no situation where the, the date of Shavuot changes, that one year it's on the 6th of Sivan, one year it's on the 5th, one year it's on the 7th. Uh, that doesn't happen. Shavuot is consistently always the same calendar day, and it's either four days or five days later in the week, according to Rabbi Meir, than it was in the previous year, but it's always the same calendar day, and that would mean that it would never happen that you would have a situation, like we mentioned above, where one year it was on the 5th the and the next year it was on the 7th or something like that. It's always on the 6th of Sivan. The following question. If I inherit a korban from my parent that passed away, What's my deal about delaying bringing it? Do I now have a clock ticking that I have to bring it uh, within the next three Chagim? Or do we say on one hand that the person who made the Nedar had that obligation of bringing it in time, but I didn't make the Nedar? Or do we say no? The mitzvah is based upon the fact that when I go to the Beit HaMikdash, whatever I'm obligated to bring, I should bring And since I'm obligated to bring all of the korbanot that I'm allowed to bring, that were left to me, that my parent left to me as a usha that they didn't, have an obli- they didn't have an opportunity to bring during their lifetime since that's the case. So, uh, so that oblig- is it the obligation of bringing it that, uh, that generates the prohibition on delaying or it's the fact that I made the neder? If it's the fact that I made the neder, so then my father is the one who made the neder, not me, so I shouldn't have to bring it. But I shouldn't have to bring it in time. I shouldn't have a deadline. But if it's contingent upon the the mitzvah of coming to the Beit HaMikdash and fulfilling all of my ob- obligations as soon as possible, I also have this obligation as a Yoresh, as an, as the heir of my parent. So really, I should be obligated to bring it. So, Atash and listen, to Tandu Rabbi Chaer. Rabbi Chayar said, Me'imach, Prat Yoresh. It says that Hashem is going to demand whatever you uh, swore to do, whatever you vowed to bring, Hashem is going to expect it from you. Prat Yoresh, like excludes the person who inherited, because the person who inherited didn't make the commitment. Vay-me'imach, but this me'imach, uh, the, this pasuk of me'imach, we already have something that we learned from it, that ze' leket she'cha'u We said that this is referring to the fact that not only obligations of korbanot have a deadline, but also leket she'cha'u also the sheaves that fall when I'm uh, harvesting my field, or the she'cha, what I, the bundles that I forget, or the pe'ah, the corner that I have to leave. Um that all of these are also included in what I need to deliver in a timely manner. So how can I also use it to exclude the obligation from falling upon the, in, the person who inherits the korban? So it says, She says, we have two things that we learn from the pasuk. One is the imach, meaning that you have to share with, the, that, that we learn that the matanot that go, the gifts that go to the poor that are included. And one is to say the idea that only when it was my uh, obligation that I took upon myself, am I liable? The extra mem is to tell me, the me'imach is to tell me that only when I made the nedir am I liable. But if i the further delay, but if my father made the nedir, I don't have that obligation on me of the timing. Rabbi, Rabbi Zira asked an additional question. what about a woman who made a there to bring a korban? What is her obligation with regard to timeliness of bringing it? Um, on one hand, she's not obligated to appear in the Beit HaMikdash on the holidays, and it seems to be connected to that appearing in the Beit HaMikdash on the holidays that you have to bring the Korban, and she's not obligated. So maybe she has no time limit. Or maybe on the other hand, she has to celebrate the holidays. She has to come up to celebrate with her family, participate in the Simchat So, And we know that that refers... The assumption of the Gemara now is that it does refer to the eating of the meat of Korbanot on the holiday in Yerushalayim. So, since she has to do that, maybe she also has to bring any obligatory Korbanot with her that she is liable for. So, shouldn't it be obvious that since she's obligated in Simcha, in Simcha Tayyum, and Simcha Yom Tov, and that implies, that involves. Eating from the Korbanot in Yerushalayim She should also have to bring any obli- obligatory Korbanot That she has with her So it says mm-hmm. Did Abaye really say that re- rejoined her According to Abaye A woman doesn't uh, celebrate by eating the meat uh, On the holiday A woman celebrates because her husband Gives her beautiful gifts Clothing, jewelry, things like that Nothing to do with uh, eating meat That doesn't even have to happen near the Beit HaMikdash according to Abaye. That's how Rashi interprets it, and that's also how the Rambam interprets it, and how it's brought in the Halakha, that the obligation of a woman on Chagim for Simchat Yom Tov is not related to eating meat, but it's related to other forms of Simcha that the husband is supposed to provide for her. Rabbi Tamir says that, no, according to him, during the Beta HaMikdash times, a woman did have to eat from the Korbanot of the holiday, and that was her form of Simcha, And that when the Gemara says that a husband should bring joy to his wife by... Um, by uh, giving her gifts That's saying when there is no Beit HaMikdash But the question then in the Gemara is According to Rabbi Tam Not that the woman that, that according to Abaye A woman isn't obligated in eating Korbanot In the Beit HaMikdash but, Or around the Beit HaMikdash That's not the, the, the uh, Critique of Abaye here The critique is that since she herself Doesn't do it on her own steam Her husband provides her that meat of the Korbanot Maybe she doesn't have an independent obligation to bring her own korbanot to the Beit HaMikdash either. So in any case, that being... So the point is, though, that since Abaye had said that he doesn't really think that a woman has an independent obligation of simcha, or according to Rashi and most of the Rishonim, Abaye has already said that he didn't think that a woman had an obligation to eat from the meat of korbanot at all on the holiday. So how can he say that to Rabbi Zerah that she should have an obligation to bring the korbanot that she's promised to bring on time? So he says, he said... He was just responding according to the premise of Rabbi Zerah. Rabbi Zerah, since you obviously think that a woman is obligated in Simchat Yom Tov on her own steam, and she's obligated in eating the meat of the korbanot, you should also say she's obligated to bring any korbanot that she committed to bring in the previous year. It shouldn't make any difference, according to me, that I say that she doesn't have that obligation either because she has a different form of Simcha that is her obligation, or because it's not an independent obligation on her, but it's an obligation on her husband to provide it. I have an out, but according to you, uh, according to you, it should be obvious. That's what he meant. By the way, another question was asked: When do we begin counting the year within it, which a Bahor is supposed to be brought, delivered to the uh, to the kohen to be offered? from the moment that it's born. According to Rabbi Yaakov, from the moment that it is ready to be offered as a korban meaning from the 8th day of its life we start counting it's not a really, it depends if it's a tam if it's a korban that really could be offered in the Beit HaMikdash because it doesn't have any blemish so then we start counting its year from the uh, moment that it's ready to be offered meaning from 8 days old but if it ha- it's a balmom that you're going to give to the Kohen and the Kohen going to eat the meat so then even under 8 days uh, from the moment it's born, it's, uh, we start counting the year deadline. So wait a second, if, even if it's a Balmum, how could you say that you could start counting, how could the clock start ticking from day one of the birth of the animal? I mean, it's still not really ready to be eaten at that point. It's uh, the day that it's born, it's uh, you have to. It's still called a nefel. It's still called a safek of whether it's going to survive. We always say that in order for a human being, thirty days once a child exits thirty days of age, we usually say that, that that's a chazaka. That's now a presumption that it is a viable child, and it's going to live. And that's why, like Pidyon Ben. Is after 30 days. When it comes to an animal, we say after eight days. But before that, we still are in Safik. Maybe it's a trifa, maybe it's not going to survive, and Shukhta won't even work on the animal under eight days. So, as Rashi says, So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's based upon what Rabban Shimon Begamiel says that Hash Hash We have to wait at least eight days. So, the answer is no. The that we know, she if we know, that the animal was a full uh, full term birth. In other words, that the uh, gestation was full, a full period of gestation. So then we're not worried. And from the moment that it's born, we assume it's viable because we know it had the full gestation period in the mother's womb and it was fully formed. So then we don't have to wait eight days after it's born. <coughs> it's only when we're not sure whether it did that we have to wait those eight days. So the point is that if it's an animal that we know had a full period, its mother had a full pregnancy, full-term pregnancy, and then it was born, and it's a Balmum, so then, the day that it was born, we could give it to the Kohen to eat. And so the the clock starts ticking from the day it's born. If it's an animal, that actually will be a Korban because we see that it's born and it doesn't have a Moom, so then you have to wait eight days, not because of the Kashrut and the viability of it, because because that's a Halakha, that you have to wait eight days before an animal can be offered as a Korban, and therefore, we're going to have to start counting the year Uh, beginning from the eighth day after the animal's birth.